That last part is so fascinating. It's not what I'm here to talk about today, but I just think it's so interesting how we can all hear the same thing, be confronted with the same thing, experience the same thing, process some of the same information, and respond to it so differently. Isn't that what we see in the passage? We, we see people who have encountered Jesus, His living words, what He's there to offer them, and some of those people recognize Him as the hope of life. Some of those people recognize Him as the Messiah, the one they've been longing and looking for, the one they've been waiting for for so long, and others are ready to seize Him and put His life to an end. There's just such a drastic difference there. And yet how often in our lives, even these days, do we find that same thing happening? Where we can hear the same information, where we can be confronted with the same things, and yet have such drastically different responses. This is not what the sermon's about today, but there is a little bit of a warning in here, or at least something that ought to cause us to pause and ponder for a moment. And that is this. If you are hearing some information, if you are experiencing something that makes you uncomfortable, that, that everything inside of you says that is wrong, it might not be. And this is something we see again and again in Scripture. We see people responding violently against things that we now see as being from God, and yet when they experienced those things, they thought they were from anything but God. That ought to give us a little bit of humility as we approach things in our lives, I think. What I am here to talk about today leads me to think about how words can be uh, can become worn out. Like, like so many things can become, become worn out. Things, things come and go, fads come and go in cycles. We, we hear things that we really resonate with and then we don't resonate with them anymore. We have foods that we want to eat over and over and over again, but at a point you can only eat so much pizza before you never want to see a pizza again. You've got to put pause on that. Some people can get to a point where they've had so many nachos, I don't know what that's like, but they've had so many nachos that they never want to see a refried bean again. And this can happen with so many things in our lives too, right? We can hear a song, whoever wants to hear the song, Achy Breaky Heart, again. But there was a time when that song was actually popular, if you can imagine that. And so things again and again and again, one day people may tight roll their jeans again like they did when I was little in the 80s. Body glove bracelets may become popular again. Hold on to that denim shirt once denim becomes unpopular because eventually it will cycle back. There are things like this that we use, that we enjoy, that they become worn out. And one of those things that I think we found this to be true of in many ways as a collective people over the past many, many, many months is certain words. Are there words that you are tired of hearing? Are there words that only a few months after March of 2020 you thought, I don't think I can ever stomach hearing that word again? I bet I could come up with one of them. 
Because we've, we've heard some words over the past 17, 18 months, an unprecedented amount of time, haven't we? One of those words is unprecedented. That may be the most. I mean, I, I feel, I can't even, if, it, if it's about to come out, I know I'm going to get a look from people, so I, I can't use it, but we may use it sometime here today. Unprecedented, everything is, is, seems to be unprecedented. And then the other one that, and I don't, I don't think it's worn as much, but some people have told me it has, if they don't want to hear it again, is, is I'm so ready for the new normal. So ready for the new, the new normal. And I, we, we talk about this now, the new normal. And some people have told me I'm tired of hearing about the new normal. And we've been waiting for the new normal for a very long time. But one of the things I thought about this week as we entered into this series in worship that we're going to be in for the next several weeks and months now is what that word represents in the way that we've been using it for several months now. And it, it really represents, when we say we're ready for the new normal over and over and over again, it's not just that we're tired of what we're going through and we're ready for it to be over and we're ready for a new season. We entered into a kind of new normal back in March of 2020 and it's shifted and changed over time, but we're still in this place. But when we talk about a new normal, it's not just that we're, we're ready for something new, it's that we believe something new is coming. Now we, we've, we've been at this long enough that we've learned we can't predict when that thing is going to happen. And yet we believe it. There's, there's something instinctual inside of us that says we believe that there's going to be. So I'm ready for the new normal. Why am I ready for it? Why am I speaking at that out loud? Because I believe it's coming. I believe there will be a day when the things that I'm ready to be done with, I'll be done with those things. And I believe there'll be a day when the things that that, that I'm inhibited to do right now, that I can't do right now, the things that I'm longing to do right now on a regular basis without inhibition, I'm going to experience those again. I believe that day is coming. By the way, there's something kind of gospely in that. Jürgen Moltmann, a very influential German theologian, described the Christian faith as an eschatological faith, meaning that it's always pointing toward the future. It's always pointing toward the conviction of a hope we believe will come into being. And we've sort of, in our consciousness collectively, tapped into a little bit of that over the last 18 months. Not kind of that end of time thing, but that end of these days kind of thing. We're longing for a new normal. We're longing for things to be new again. We're longing to experience whatever that's going to be. We're longing to experience all kinds of renewal. And by the way, that's actually what the word renewal means, or renew means literally new again. We're ready for things to be new again. Renewal can mean replenishment or restoration or revival, and we're certainly longing for a lot of those things. It can be about resetting or recommitting. But at its base level, a longing for renewal is a longing for things to be new again. And Jesus said, this is a holy longing. This is actually something that Jesus talked about as being a necessary longing, a holy longing, something that's reflective of what it means to enter into the life of God, the life that is truly life, the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give us. In fact, in John chapter 3, a few chapters before that passage 
Connie read to us a moment ago, you may remember that a religious teacher, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus in the nighttime and says, what is it that we must do to inherit the life that is truly life? Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, you must be made new again. You must be born all over again. And the guy says, but how can you go into your mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, no, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And if you want to enter into the life that is truly life, the with God life, you have to be born again. You have to experience a deep renewal in the spirit. And Jesus says, by the way, that's what I've come to give you. In fact, only one chapter later, Jesus begins to talk about this in a way that we've heard Connie read to us about a moment ago. You may remember that story because we've recently heard about it in a podcast and in a sermon of the woman at the well, the unnamed woman at the well from Samaria that Jesus met with. We talk about even using that sermon today, that passage today, but it, it, it foreshadows what Jesus speaks about in the festival of the tabernacles in John chapter 7, where she says, you know, they're talking about the well there and getting a drink from the well. And Jesus said, if you had asked me, I would have given you a drink and you would have never gone thirsty. If you had asked me, if you had put your faith in me, there's something about this relationship with Jesus where he says, if you'll do that, if you'll lean into that and live into that, I will cause a, a spring of living water to burst forth from your soul, replenishing and renewing you. Right now, where you are, in the midst of all you're going through, and that's good news for us, and you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never be thirsty again. Then we hear a different take on that in John 7 where Jesus, in the midst of this particular festival in John chapter 7, says, if you would believe in me, if you would lean into the gospel that I'm sharing with you now, into the life that I've come here to give you, rivers of living water will flow forth from your soul out into the world. Bringing the renewal, the new again life that you're looking and longing for, not just to you, but to others as well. This is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing, and this is what so many of us are longing for. And that's why we're going to talk about this for the next several months. But, but the reason why we're going to talk about it and the ways we're going to talk about it are meant to point us to the fact that this is not something that we only have to long for, but that we can also participate in and posture for. That it's actually possible to do things with Jesus and around Jesus. There's actually possible for us to put us ourselves into position where we experience this kind of renewal on a more regular basis. Because we know these things cycle, right? It, it cycles. There have been times in our life, not on the macro level, we feel it right now, but on a micro level, where we've said, you know what, something just doesn't feel right about this. 
Something doesn't feel, I remember back then in that time and, and there were these moments where things felt right and I would say, yes, that's the way life is supposed to be. But right now, something doesn't feel right about this. And that's why we had this deep conviction that we're going to get beyond this. We're going to cycle out to something new and better. And we can posture ourselves for that. We can put ourselves in position to receive that on a more regular basis. I was thinking about this actually when Christy and I were on vacation once at the beach. And we were in a place where we, from our hotel room, could see people going out in the morning, not only to surf, but to learn to surf. And each and every morning while we were in this place, I, I, I began to think, you know, really I should be out there with them in, in that kind of cycle to know coffee's better and watching is fine. But, but I, I would sit and watch these people out there learning to surf every morning and eventually you would see over the course of hours or days they would actually get up on a wave and they're, they're receiving this instruction and they're learning how to do it. And, and I got so interested in it and I even, you know, didn't go out there but I started Wikipedia-ing uh, this trying to figure out what it actually takes to surf. What do you have to do? What are the moves and the angles and the turns? And, and of course, there are muscles you have to develop and there are instincts that you have to develop and there are ways of standing on the board and all of these kinds of things. But one of the things you have to absolutely have to learn to do is to get yourself in position to catch a wave. You have to, you have to learn where to go and the best place to wait and the best position to wait in so that when the wave comes, you can actually catch it. And that's the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about. What are the things that we need to be doing in order to put ourselves in position to catch the wave of God's renewal? They may be little waves, they may be big waves, but what are the kinds of things we need to be doing in order to catch that wave? And one of the things we absolutely know that we need to be doing is leaning into our lives with Jesus. And that may sound nebulous or, or cliche, but we absolutely, so many of us, there are a lot of real, real practical little things that we, we can do on a daily basis, but one of the biggest things, the bedrock things that we have to be doing is we have to be thinking about what it means for us to lean into our lives with Jesus. The ultimate source of that renewal. The ultimate source of that life that is truly life. The ultimate source of that river of living water that Jesus longs to tap into so that it will flow forth from our soul. Jesus points us to this in this passage in John chapter 7 and it's even more beautiful than it sounds. Because we see as we look back in John chapter 7 that he's saying this in the midst of the festival of tabernacles. Some people call it the festival of booths, or it might more accurately be called by some Jewish friends the festival of Sukkot. And actually, they're going to celebrate this festival starting on September 20th, so it, it's coming up really soon. And the festival of Sukkot, or the festival of, of booze, or the festival of tabernacles, there's a lot you can read about that, but one of the things that happened is, is during that time, they actually, people will actually live and feast in these little booth-like structures that they've created, and there, there's some really interesting things that go along with that. 
And there, there are, 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 are two sort of um, kinds of things they're trying to remember and celebrate in the midst of this festival. One of those things is the harvest. And so there are various things that are happening. A lot of the, 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 the farmers out in the field will actually, even to that day, they'll, they'll live in these booths or they'll be out there and they'll, they'll use these kinds of booths for shade. And so they're remembering what the farmers go through to bring about the harvest. And they're participating in things that are about thanking God for the harvest or asking God for the harvest. In fact, um, Jesus is um, actually at the time in the feast when, it, when, he, when he says these words where you're at the end and they're about to participate or they have just participated in a libation ceremony. A libation is when a liquid is offered as a prayer or a sacrifice of worship to God. And so what would happen in this ceremony is you would have these priests and they would go to the pool of Siloam that you may remember from another part in scripture and they would dip water out and they would go to the temple and they would pour this in this basin. And there's also a double meaning in that that really connects with the double meaning of the feast. Because one of the reasons you pour it in this basin or over this basin is related to the harvest. You're asking the God of the harvest for rain, right? But the other thing that you're remembering is the other thing the feast of Sukkot is about. And it's about the season where the people of God were tabernacling in the wilderness. It's about that season of 40 years where they'd been delivered from slavery and bondage in Egypt, but they're not in the promised land yet, and they're out in the desert wandering around with God. And when, they, when they're entering into the, the Feast of Tabernacles, they're remembering that time of deliverance. And so when they pour the water, when they pour the water out, in the temple, they're not just asking for a physical harvest, but they're asking for a spiritual harvest. They're not just asking for the rain from heavens to come down and satiate their crops, but they're asking for it to satiate their souls as they think about the harvest that is coming and the harvest that has been. In fact, it's hard not to remember a particular moment in those wilderness wanderings when you read this particular passage, because I suspect it's what Jesus was thinking of as well. You may remember the story. It happened a couple of times, and this time God told them to do it. There was another time when God told them, when God hadn't told them to do it, and they got in trouble for it. But in Exodus chapter 17, the people of God are wandering around, and you may remember in the harvest or in the wilderness that they were wandering around after God and with God, that God was present with them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And so they knew in this kind of tangible way that the one who had delivered them through the waters of the Exodus was still with them, leading them and guiding them in a very physical, present way. And that they knew that God had promised to deliver them from slavery and deliver them into the land of promise, but that hadn't happened yet. They were in this in-between phase, longing, for a new normal, longing for a new day. And in the midst of this longing, no matter what they'd experienced with God or what they were experiencing with God in that moment, pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day, they began to grumble. It was hot in the desert. And in that desert experience, the longing for food and water was probably greater than it had ever been before. And they begin to grumble against God. Did you bring us out here, Moses? Did you bring us out here, God, just to shrivel up and die? 
And what you see in the midst of that grumbling is what actually in that context was kind of a legal argument, not just against Moses, but against God. Where they are creating a case against how God has wronged them. How could we be in this situation? God, why don't you deliver us from this situation? Have you ever felt anything like that over the last 18 months? When is this going to come to an end? When are we going to experience our new normal? And they they land this against God. And in the midst of that moment, they're given the opportunity to do something tangible in response. And what they were asked to do was to go and tap on a rock. Now, in the, the vibe and the feeling of the passage, the tapping on the rock seems more like it was probably a pounding. Giving God what God deserves for God not giving us what we deserve. And they're really invited to, to launch this case against God. But then something happens. In the midst of their pounding against that rock, all of a sudden, a stream bursts forth. Where did it come from? How did it get there? It was a gift of God that represented life. A gift of God that didn't represent life beyond the desert, but a gift from God that represented life within the desert. God's presence. God's life that is truly life. The river that they had been longing for bursting forth from the rock that Jesus later says He can bring about from our own soul. Guess what Paul said? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, when he was reflecting back on that story in Exodus 17, he said the rock was Christ. Isn't that crazy? Here we have Jesus in the midst of this moment that they're living in, this moment of longing in John chapter 7 standing up at at the point in the festival of the tabernacles where they're remembering the wilderness and bringing this offering of water to God. He's outside of the temple. He's saying, man, if you would come to me, I would help water not just burst forth from the sky, but burst forth from your soul in the midst of every circumstance you're in. You would know that God is with you and for you always. I'm going to bring about that in your soul. And he calls their attention back to a story where they were so dry, so parched, they couldn't imagine ever getting, they were so mad, they'd rather be in slavery than be here. And then all of a sudden, God bursts forth in one of the most unlikely places. And Paul says, that rock they tapped was Jesus. And then Jesus brings us back to this festival in this moment and says, And you can do that too. You can do that too. Because the God who was there with them in the exile, with them and for them, and a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night is with you in the midst of your wilderness. And the God that you're looking and longing for in the midst of this Roman oppression and all that you're going through as you shout out and cry out to God for a new normal, this thing you've been longing for, is with you now and for you. It's as close as that rock. It's as close as that sand. It's as close as the air that we breathe. 
the renewal that you're looking and longing for, the life that your soul is crying out for, it's here. It's here. You can catch that next wave. There are a lot of ways to do that. But, but we know that the first step toward that is always Jesus. And so, as we come to the table today, and you've got your elements with you, hopefully, here's what I'm hoping might begin to happen as we receive this bread that Jesus said, is my body broken for you? And as we receive from this cup that Jesus said, is my blood, my life, poured out for you. Perhaps in this moment of music and meditation and communion, you might say as you receive the body, you might say to God as you've received from the cup, out of my deep desire for renewal in my life right now and in the world right now, I am renewing my commitment to you. I am renewing my commitment to pursuing you. I am renewing my commitment to perceiving you in every, receiving you in every area of my life so that I might receive the life that you have come to give. The life that is truly life. We share in this moment of communion together.